Welcome to Scandinavian Mind Weekly, our show about the current trends and events within business, tech, fashion, design, culture, and more from the Nordic perspective of our team of editors and contributors. Today on the program, the Otherlands NFT Art Festival just kicked off in Stockholm this week. We were there and we'll report back to you guys. We'll take a look at resilience tech, new buzzword within the tech community. What does it mean? Also, our special guest, Nick Buckley, joins us. He's the head of digital for L'Oreal in the Nordics. I'm Conrad Olsen, editor-in-chief and founder of Scandinavian Mind. And I'm joined by my good friends, Roland Philipp Kretschmar, editor-at-large, and our junior editor, Eric Sedin. How are you guys? Hey, hey. Hey, good morning. Uh, just a quick congratulations on the premiere of the Konst show uh, that people can see in the feed below this one. Uh, what have the reactions been, Roland? Um, uh, positive, I would say. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, if people are silent, that's maybe because they're negative. I don't know. But uh, I think uh, generally pretty good uh, feedback from the art community, both from artists and gallerists and curators. And, you know, I have quite a long list of future guests. So very excited about that. Wonderful. I'm super happy about that. And uh, great job hosting without us. Did you miss us? I did. Definitely. <laughs> no, you, had, you had great help with, with the co-host. And I love that idea of having kind of like a co-host every uh, every week. That's that's going to be different, right? We, now we had Mikael Elmenbeck, uh, founder of, of uh, CF Hill and, and, and Bond Magazine. So that, that was great also, I think. Yeah, that, I think that brings a bit of um, uh, dynamism to the, the episode. Like like us, you know, we're three. It makes it more of a conversation, less of a Q&A session. All right. Earlier this week, the NFT art festival called Otherlands kicked off in Stockholm, a completely new type of event. And I think the first time in, in the Nordics that someone tried to sort of gather the, the local NFT uh, community. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to talk about it. It was ba- it was both an exhibition uh, at the Bruno Gallerian. It was together with uh, the the clothing store A Place, and they had gathered some of the the most sort of prolific uh, uh, NFT visual like digital uh, artists uh, that are are active right now. We had Andreas Vanestet, uh, Jakob Fellander. Uh, Jimmy Hedberg, um, uh, Neon Girl, also the uh, the uh, um, Swedish kind of like fashion wonder, uh, fashion brand uh, Rave Review uh, launched a, 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 a digital clothing, a crypto panties NFT. Um, so we were there. I was actually uh, joined or or invited to uh, uh, moderate the the talks and interview the the, the artists. And I have some reflections on it, but uh, just Eric, you were there as well. What were your impressions uh, from the the exhibition there? Uh, I was, uh, I was. Uh, first of all, it's for me, probably for a lot of people there, like the first NFT festival or like the first NFT, you know, art show or whatever. And of course, it kind of made sense to integrate fashion and a, a physical store into it to get people there. And mm. uh, I really, I really liked, you know, it's, I, I wondered how they would uh, present this. And it was basically just a bunch of uh, screens where they showed yeah. it. Yeah. So I was wondering, would they have like some kind of, sometimes, you know, we know that these NFTs would come with a physical copy, mm. which happened in some of the cases, but uh, it was basically just uh, 
really like bright future futuristic screens just going all over the place which was cool and also like the crowd i i, I can imagine that Roland will probably know this best but there can be different kind of art crowds right i feel like in during in, in this nft crowd it's a lot of like pink and blue hair and stuff <laughs> very much so and like piercings face piercings yeah, yeah, I don't think that's the typical art crowd in, in Stockholm. So it was uh, maybe leaning towards kind of a crypto crowd and also a younger uh, kind of fashion-y uh, event crowd. Mm-hmm. That was one of it. You know, it was was first kind of really crowded. Uh, uh, it was a couple of hundred people or, or more that, you know, very small place. So th- that was one thing, uh, just having that, that crowded uh, space. Um, but you're right. The you know the the whole thing was uh, sponsored by Samsung. Obviously, Samsung uh, you know sees this as an opportunity to show off their screens, and there's a sort of a uh, you know obvious uh, connection uh, there. But what, what did you think of the art? Did you have any uh, favorites? Uh, I was really I, I was standing and looking for a long time at the uh, I think they were called B Wider, like they had yeah. a fashion drop, which I thought was mm-hmm. really cool, and they actually had some kind of because you know, looking at a screen, fine, it's cool. But they had like a like a little room, like a booth, where you could look on a or for like a third three sixty panorama view of like different screens of different uh, fashion pieces and outfits, which I thought was mm. cool. And uh, obviously, I emailed them wanting to write something about them. They look really cool. Yeah. Also exhibiting was was something called Twelve Collective, which was initiated by Lee, Lynn Vexel. She's the founder of a music label called Milkshake, and she had gathered sort of both musical artists and uh, uh, sort of visual artists in in creating NFTs. And they have you know they have their music on Spotify and all these platforms, but you can also as a fan then buy individual uh, pieces of art as nfts and i thought thought, overall they did a good job in showing kind of like a range um but there was actually uh, something i wanted to bring up you know when uh, you know experiencing this sort of nft place and i thought it would be interesting for us to discuss uh because at the end of of the the show we had um Patrick Arneson, which is the the founder of uh, Forza Iconia, uh, he has done NFTs uh, um, recently to to support the 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 victims of Ukraine. He's made a drop called uh, Mauer Digital with with digital NFTs. He's kind of like the Swedish, the most I don't know, famous, most, uh, you know, successful kind of NFT personality in Sweden. And he held like a keynote about, you know, kind of how to succeed in the NFT space and so forth. And I think it was kind of like a stark contrast uh, between all these other initiatives that was, uh, you know, great creativity, people coming in with, with, you know, art and music and fashion and so forth. But, you know, this guy has obviously... Uh, been successful kind of for real in the crypto community. I think the 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 Mauer Digital project uh, has now has a turnover of about uh, five hundred thousand uh, dollars in terms of revenue from these uh, um, Ukraine project NFTs. And what I was thinking about, I, I wanted to ask you guys. Um, you know, he said something really interesting in that. You know, if you want to be successful with NFTs right now, at this moment in time, you have to have access to this kind of crypto community, the people who actually have wallets, 
who are sitting on uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, who wants to sort of be in this space. And it, it just struck me how we, ha- we are in this kind of contrast between uh, what's actual, actually being sold and what's kind of only being talked about in a way. Uh, there's kind of like this this difference between the hype and and what's actually I mean and and I mean the numbers for for NFTs for 2021 is huge I don't know 17 billion or something 21 oh 21 yeah thank you for that um, but it's, it's obviously huge but it's it's just clear to me that that's just a very specific target group uh, buying these NFTs and here's my thesis and I'm gonna let you guys in could it be that we are with NFTs uh, where kind of VR headsets was eight years ago. So eight years ago, everyone talked about VR headsets. Uh, I think it's around that time that uh, uh, Facebook uh, bought the Oculus. This was the future. Everyone's going to have VR headsets. Uh, eight years later, it hasn't you know broken the mainstream, but it might be soon. Who knows? Uh, but could it be that we are kind of expecting an NFT winter where from this sort of very specific crypto community until it has broad mainstream uh, adoption? What do you say, Roland? <laughs> what do I say about this? <clears throat> well, you can always answer a question like that in two ways. One is to agree with you and one is to disagree. Let's start with agreeing. <laughs> mm. so, yes, there will definitely be a backlash of uh, NFT art. That I have predicted for a long time. You know, I think just you know, a boom, a boost, a trend, a hype, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think it's it's great because it has accelerated um, the whole NFT space. It has uh, put a lot of light on it. <clears throat> it has promoted the technology, the the use of the technology. I would say mainly as an extension of uh, individuals' creativity, but also uh, you know as an extension of brands. Uh, and, and in that respect, I I don't think it will. Uh, disappear as quickly as you would say the VR AR trend uh, as you referenced to because there was a much larger gap between uh, let's say the technology and the hype here the technology is already available you know you you can mint an NFT in in five minutes after the show Hmm. it's it's quite easy actually and also buying NFTs, yes, if you want to reach out to the hardcore community and you, you, you want to do it, let's say, in the right way, put in brackets, you, you would then um, ask people to invest with their crypto wallets, etc. But there are a lot of marketplaces, there are a lot of big brands that have launched NFTs, which you can buy with fiat currency as well, right? So... I'm not sure, you know, I'm a bit hesitant to, to, to say that it will die uh, in the same way because technology is there, it's easy to do. Uh, you know, we waited eight years for Oculus to become relevant and, pri- and price point to become relevant, right? Hmm. Um, I think maybe what might, will be a challenge is the saturation of the NFT space. So basically doing something that stands out, that is intelligent and smart and becomes a natural extension of a brand, if we talk about in commercial terms. Um, But then I see also, you know, I bought an art piece last week from an artist, Swedish artist. You know, he asked me naturally, you know, do you also want NFT? It's It it just becomes part of the contract, part of the agreement, you know, that you also get the NFT 
Um, so yeah, I don't know if I'm really answering your question or not, but no, no, these are just the reflections. Really to reflect upon because I think one thing that really needs to happen, and we're seeing a lot of uh, players and, and commercial brands and new initiatives and, and you know people entering this space from more say like a legacy uh, uh, perspective um, that wants to do NFTs. And I think the challenge there is uh, there's sometimes there's a perception that there's this you know big crypto target group because these are such huge numbers been thrown around that people think that let's just tap into the crypto community and start selling nfts mm. and i think what what's uh, uh, needs to happen and perhaps events like this like other lands is is uh, it's good for that you you have to kind of educate uh, the general public so for this to be uh, have mainstream adoption there has to be uh, a more uh, uh, you know uh, mainstream usage of this technology and i think a lot of people who even if they sort of know what nfts are and know what what crypto currencies are they don't they haven't set up their wallet they're they're not there uh um so but okay can i ask you conrad yeah what what do you mean by success i mean everyone is always comparing now to facebook's and google's and twitter's but i mean mm. not everything needs to be multi-billion dollar companies in order to be successful you can be hugely successful with a one million dollar turnover right it sure. depends if the scale right i i think to be honest uh, nft art sold for 21 billion dollars last year mm. for me that's quite a significant number <laughs> right so if you look at it just objectively speaking it's a huge success if it's overhyped if there will be a backlash, yes, but there will be new use cases. And I think, uh, you know, we talked about this before. I'm repeating myself, but the whole area of utility NFTs that's going to explode, that's going to be a $200 billion uh, industry in, in the next 10 years. You know, everything we will do when we talk about contracts will be on the blockchain in the future. This mm -hmm. is what we're seeing now. This is just the first step. Then, you know, I think all these um, buzzwords about Web3 and, you know, it's it's the new internet, the decentralization, yada, yada. I mean, let's be realistic. We've seen uh, buzzwords come and go throughout the years, right? But if you unbox what it really means, decentralization of internet, if you really unbox what blockchain technology can do uh, for transparency in supply chain, etc., it is going to happen. It is happening. Uh, you know, and NFTs, uh, it, it's, it's just one part of that huge industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was actually happy to have, uh, you know, a few of the, the artists present talking about uh, uh, the sort of notion of utility NFTs. Uh, Rave Review, the fashion brand, we're talking about it as some, as a, it's more like something that complements their, their current business and, and so forth. And there, I think there it becomes really interesting. Also, Jakob Fellender is an artist that, that we've obviously written about uh, before. Um, he, uh, he has been in digital space and, and you know, research different technologies for quite some time. He just, you know, kind of uh, casually said, well, all NFTs are are kind of like a digital receipt, right? Uh, an advanced digital receipt. It's, it, the NFT itself is not the art. Uh, it's the technology. So anyways, uh, we'll definitely continue watching this space. And I'd like to congratulate the, the founders of the Otherlands uh, um, NFT Art Festival on a great event, uh, which they will be doing in the rest of the Nordics. And I think it's, it'll, it'll live on. We'll, we'll see what happens and we'll continue covering it. And maybe deep dive in the Const podcast moving forward. Who knows? Yeah.
Alright, moving on. There's been a new term that's been thrown around recently uh, called resilience tech. Uh, Roland, you've been watching uh, this. Uh, what is it? Can you talk, talk about uh, Roland, you've been watching this uh, recently. Can you talk about what this is? Yeah, okay. So I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory to this. So, you know, we have gone through a global pandemic. There have been other disastrous events in the world. You know, we, we have the Ukraine war, of course. But there are many other events in the world happening all the time, <clears throat> which puts uh, humanity at risk of some sort, right? And um, Gartner, uh, it's it's a research institute, if you don't know, um, they, they launched a report last year where they talked about this resilience tech area, basically saying that, you know, from an organizational point of view, that organizational resilience remains a strategic imperative growing in importance as businesses face threats from pandemics, cybercrime, severe weather, climate change, mm. civil and political instabilities, right? So th there is this kind of idea that, you know, th there is a responsibility of countries, of states, of cities, of companies to keep their people free of harm. So we can continue to live sustainable, stable lives, right? Uh, and uh, obviously now with, uh, you know, just coming out of the pandemic, uh, just entering the Ukrainian war, there is a lot of uh, talk about this now uh, in, in the tech industry. It's like, what is the role of tech as an industry? What is the role of technology in order to provide security for citizens, uh, for employees? Uh, how can technology become, um, you know, a, a foundation for uh, a, a more sustainable, healthier humanity. And, and usually when we talk about resilience tech, you, you put it in, in five contexts. So you have uh, the individual relational uh, layer, you have the family, organizational layers, you have community, and then you have the national layer, right? <clears throat> and at the end, you know, what, what do we mean by resilience? So re resilience is... I would say the way I interpret this, uh, readiness to transform, readiness to resist, readiness to uh, stand by and, and provide some sort of stability, right, as you transform. So, um, you know, you, you, if you look at it from a, a national point of view, you know, how do you ensure that a nation state thrives and survives, right? Uh, and what is then the role of technology for that? Or uh, from a company perspective, it's the same, right? I mean, you don't need to put it in long-term perspectives. You, you, you know, how do you survive in a pandemic? <laughs> You're a restaurant. How do you survive? Uh, what kind of technologies could you use to change the business model to become more sustainable and resilient over time, right? Mm. And I can go on and on with examples and also down to individual levels, you know, Health tech, that's part of resilience. I would say, you know, how do you use technology in order to feel better, to be stronger physically and mentally? That makes you more resilient as a human being, right? And and, and, and gives you the, um, the possibility to thrive. Um, so uh, this is basically the backstory. And the reason this is kind of uh, coming up now, obviously, we I, I mentioned Ukraine war, uh, the pandemic, but also there is this... Uh, um, I would say profile in tech, John Maeda. Uh, he's a professor. Uh, he's uh, a, a engaged as a senior advisor to many, many companies. He's a lecturer. 
uh, trendsetter. He has published for many years now a trend report annually uh, with different themes. And the theme for this year uh, is actually resilience tech. Um, and, and he started to build that trend report based obviously on the pandemic. But it is going to be interesting now with the Ukraine war and other conflicts around the world and, uh, you know, how the end result would be. And the, the report will be published later this spring. It's always available free for free. Uh, so, you know, Google John Maeda, checking, checking out on YouTube. He's a great lecturer, very inspiring. So, yeah, that's the backstory. Yeah, yeah, and he, he will uh, we'll link it in the in the show notes, and and uh, you know it's going to also be launched at the South by Southwest Festival. Uh, yeah, every which, year it's launched there. Yeah, which which I, I kind of it's just a wonderful sign of spring in a sense that we they they are now back with the South by South uh, uh, Festival. But you know, really interesting. Thanks for for putting this on 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 our radar and on my radar. I hadn't heard about the term before. Uh, I think it's interesting that we are now seeing a much more nuanced discussion around, you know, how the big tech companies just, uh, you know, what's been happening with with Ukraine recently, and and it's not as black and white as it has been the the, the past few um, years with tech, uh, big tech. Uh, now we're talking more about. What kind of responsibilities do they have in these much more, much, much more difficult situations in terms of war? Um, there's talk of, of kind of like is there is there a new kind of iron curtain that's that's been been uh, you know veiled around Russia uh, uh, with the ban of Facebook and so forth? And and no, really interesting perspective. I'll definitely look into it. Yeah, and I think I mean uh, just to add on, if you go beyond tech. Uh, and maybe this is a reflection for the listeners out there. You know, it's the weekend coming, etc. How can you ensure that you become more resilient? You know, um, I'm not going to lie. Um, the, the, you know, coming out of two years of pandemic, now with the Ukraine war, it puts a lot of stress on you as an individual. You know, I feel unrest. I feel um, unsecure, um, unstable because of all these different uh, events that is happening in the world. And, you know, I think... The war, uh, even though if I don't believe that it's, it's an imminent threat to Sweden as a national state, still it puts a lot of stress on me. So there is this kind of reflection you can make that how can I become more resi- resilient to this, right? To change, to threats, to how can I become more resilient as a human being? Uh, and and uh, then, you know, maybe there is this part where technology can actually support me uh, in what ways? That's far up. To everyone to decide right mm. uh but uh, clearly this is something that is going to uh, be talked more about um not only this year but i think in the next decade all right we are now joined by uh, nick buckley the cdmo of l'oreal nordics uh, uh nick welcome to the show yeah great thank you for having me very excited uh, to have uh, some interesting conversations yeah, yeah, yeah. We we are really looking forward to talking about uh, some of the topics that are close to our hearts, which is sort of digital development, uh, the role of tech in the lifestyle industries. I just want to start by saying that we had a um, interview with you last year uh, on the Scandinavian Mind website. It was actually one of the most read articles of 2021. So I just want to congratulate you on that, and you know, obviously a good reason to have you on the on the show. I didn't know that. That's that's very cool. I'm, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, we need to start start making some some more content then. 
yeah, for sure. Can you just talk about, I mean, you, you know, I think one of the things that, that really uh, struck people with, with that article is your insights into um, sort of digital consumer behavior, how, uh, you know, the role of digital is changing the, the sort of this still fairly traditional, um, you know, beauty industry, the lifestyle industry. Can you talk about uh, what your role is? And, and we'll talk about some of the developments in the space. Yeah, sure. I mean, so my, my background, I've always worked in, in digital, to be honest. So I'm, I'm not a classically trained marketeer or marketing or brand person. Um, and, uh, and I've always, always worked for quite big companies, actually, quite corporate big companies. Um, and historically, sort of uh, eight, nine years ago, the, the marketing sort of model was very simple. You do a very big TV campaign. Everyone would, would watch that TV campaign. And everyone would then flock to the store to buy, buy that product. And then really over the last sort of, I think not that long, really, like sort of six years, uh, that just doesn't happen anymore. That correlation between big TV campaign and people buying stuff just, it just doesn't happen for, for many, many reasons, um, which I could talk, uh, talk at length about. Um, but we just don't see that, that, that correlation. But, but so as a result, we've, we've changed, kind of had to change really that model um, and it's because consumers are spending more and more time online um, and where they're spending their time online, it's harder for big brands to, to sort of speak to them. So for us and for, for me, one of the things I'm most interested in is, is the topic of advocacy and just how we can get people, consumers, anyone to talk about the brands that I work for without me forcing it down their throats. And that, that in itself is quite a challenge. Wonderful. So, you know, as a, a representative of big brand, uh, global brand, what kind of challenges does this, uh, uh, you know, uh, put on your, yourself and your role and, and how to communicate and reach the consumer, would you say? Yes, I mean, like, you know, again, I don't need to, I don't need to talk about the big trends that we see that are particularly prevalent in, in the Nordic countries, in, in Sweden, Denmark, Norway and Finland, you know, Consumers are, are watching on-demand TV, Netflix, mm. uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon launched fairly recently in, in Sweden. So those places, we just can't speak to them with just kind of traditional run-of-the-mill ad campaigns. Um, and so that's why we need to be a bit more creative um, and really have far more focus on sort of content creation. And this is why, I, and I think I talked about it in the, um, in the, in the article, this is why I'm sort of obsessed by this concept of like a breadth and depth of content about beauty in this example, but it could be about anything. And then the mass distribution of this content to wherever people are. And that, that right. for me is like the key. Uh, obviously the challenge for, for any brand or personality that wants to reach out to have that kind of uh, scale of content and something that we work with as well. Uh, talking about so, sort of being on the forefront of technology, uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, concepts like the metaverse and Web3 and so forth uh, uh, the, the past few months, the past year. Uh, we talk about it all the time on this show. How important is it for a beauty brand to be, you know, uh, at the forefront of, of, you know, digital worlds and so forth? What's, mm. what's your role there? Mm. No, I mean, uh, I mean, of course, uh, of course, it's important. And again, this is the luxury of working for, for a large organization. You, you have uh, resources and, and people working on this full time. But, but ultimately, like wherever people are spending their time, that's where we need to be in some way. And we can't be there in a in a inauthentic manner, in an inauthentic way. So just by putting a 
a banner ad on a gaming, you know, on a gaming site is not gonna is not gonna do it. But equally, the fact that people are gaming doesn't mean that all they're interested in is gaming. Of course, a lot of these people also have uh, other interests and other lives. So it's, it's how we can sort of integrate into that world in a way that actually is of use and is actually meaningful. And that, and again, that is not easy. It's very easy to talk about and to say, but how we can integrate and be part of that world in a way that is, um, doesn't stick out and look awkward is, uh, is quite a challenge. But we're already, like, we're doing a lot of it, we, you know, and a lot of it, again, is down to advocacy and how we can um, prompt people to talk about our products and then have, how they use them while they're doing these things in these, in these worlds. So, uh, but again, I, do I have the answer? Absolutely not. But what I love is just playing around with it and, 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 and testing and learning. And, and do you have any interesting predictions just on that specific topics? How can a beauty brand be part of the metaverse or NFTs or gaming worlds, you know, in the future? Maybe not a, an application that exists right now, but do you have any predictions? Do you see any, any use cases that, that uh, perhaps would surprise people? Yeah, I mean, uh, some of it, you know, we're, we're of course working on and is not sort of not sort of public, but I think what, what is public is uh, the whole NFT and, and um, purchasing uh, products for these avatars and for these virtual beings in those worlds. They're, they're not physical products, but they're virtual products. So that's mm. a, a big area that is of interest and, um, and again, is, is meeting a consumer need. So ultimately, all we're inter interested in doing is 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 meeting a consumer need uh, and if we can do that in these worlds then, then fantastic so that's that's one these these virtual products and then number two again it's kind of you know people and consumers have all of these needs how we can answer these questions uh on these platforms in a way that uh doesn't look out of place so a lot of it is down to conversations so we, we are doing a lot of work on how we can integrate our stories both brand stories and product stories, but also, you know, answering these needs in these platforms. And it's, um, again, do I have the answer? Absolutely not, but it's, we're playing around a lot with it. Can I ask you, uh, given that you have a Nordic role and you work in a big global company, um, do you, how much of a difference do you see between the different markets within L'Oreal uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, let's say the speed, the, the operating model, level of maturity? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you can spot my accent, but I am I'm not from a Nordic country. I am indeed English uh, and British, uh, and I came from L'Oreal in the UK. So um, they uh, they asked me to come across and, and, and do the role here. Um, UK obviously very advanced in terms of uh, digital and behaviours and and also just the, just the, the population size. It's just so much bigger than the the, the Nordic countries. So Nordic countries. Uh, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Finland is about 27 million people, more give or take. Um, what I am remarkably happy to see and excited about is that we see specifically in the Nordic countries just ha how advanced they are in terms of um, how they adopt technology, um, how they're open to uh, online and purchasing and e-commerce. Um, so honestly, we look at the Nordic countries as being as advanced as as in Europe, UK, France, and Germany. And then globally, um, when we look at our media investments, um, there's only one other country globally who spends more in digital than, than L'Oreal Nordics, and that's China. So, so again, that gives you a sense of just, just how advanced 
uh, Loyal Nordics is uh, within the digital world. And, and thank God, because uh, I would be a bit bored if uh, if it wasn't that case. It wasn't the case. And given the history of the company and um, you know some of the challenges you you mentioned earlier around the the way the industry has changed in the last decades. Um, how much of a, you know, how much change management is part of your job, kind of getting the old timers to understand the, you know, digitalization and what it can bring and the benefits and moving away from this old school campaign planning into this always on digital approach? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's uh, probably all, all the majority of my role. So, um, uh, so L'Oreal have uh, CMOs or, or CDMOs uh, across many of the bigger countries. And our roles are transformational roles. Exactly, I mean, you you kind of answered your own question there. Um, it, our job is to change the traditional marketing process and marketing plans um, and uh, really bring them to, to, to uh, the, you know, the, 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 where, where things are today and where consumers are, are spending their time. Um, so all the profiles that we have, I mean, like I say, I've always worked in digital. Um, um, and all of the, if I look at, reflect at my peers across Europe and across the world, they all come from either digital or transformational type roles. And that is our number one task is to ch change the change the model. And it uh, it was quite hard, sort of six years ago, honestly, uh, it was like quite confrontational and many challenges and progressively things have become a lot easier. And now to be honest, it's not a challenge to change that mindset. The, the challenge is, is just to continue to keep that momentum and continue being uh, being at the forefront. Mm. Um, and I talk about the forefront. I mean, there's a lot of new technologies so that Connor mentioned that as well. You know, <clears throat> that you need to explore, you need to test. How fast can you be, be then at testing new technologies without putting the brand at risk, or you know, without getting stuck into uh, you know organizational structure <laughs> and decision making processes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good, good question. And uh, um, uh, so I'm, yeah, again, I'm, I'm fortunate to have worked for a lot of big companies. So, so Sony, uh, I was in the global team at Sony, uh, Marks and Spencer's, which is the biggest retailer in the UK, um, quite large couple of organizations. And, um, where I am today is, is by far the most, most agile. And we, we had quite a decentralized model. So it means that we have quite a lot of, quite a lot of autonomy in, in the countries, in the markets. Um, of course, we have global teams and, you know, again, we're, we're a global company, a, a corporate company, and we have processes. Um, but, uh, but we have this concept here called organized chaos. And it's this concept where things are organized, but there is also chaos. And we fully admit and open put our hands up to that. It's actually part of the interview process. It's like, how, how, do, you, how do you manage um, uncertainty and you know, do you, are you structured and you like a very clear to-do list or do you mind a bit of madness? And actually we consciously need people who don't mind a little bit of madness. Um, so, for, uh, I mean, it depends what it is, but honestly, if we have an idea and we think it will work, we kind of do it fairly quickly. I'll give you an example. We, we launched uh, a website last year in, in two and a half weeks. Um, and the website was, um, it was during Corona, et cetera, et cetera. And we wanted to offer a website for our staff to buy products. And we, and we launched it in two and a half weeks. We got a local supplier, a local vendor. We white labeled it and we launched it in two and a half weeks. And I, I was, I mean, that's an extreme example, but we can do it pretty quickly. 
There's been a lot of talk about the term beauty tech, and I think it's kind of the type of term that's been thrown around a lot, and I think it means different things for different mm -hmm. companies. Uh, what does it mean for, for you guys, and do you use it at all in, in your work? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we, we were quite early, sort of, we made quite an early statement on, on, on that word, and uh, it's a tricky one because it, it can mean everything and nothing at the same time. Um, and for a long time, we, 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 we sort of challenged ourselves on exactly that question. What, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? Um, and we're just now really starting to really formulate a very clear, clear plan on it. And we have kind of three, like, three underlying principles of what we think like beauty tech is. Like the first one is it is just the tech part, this is the second word. And in its simplest form is like, are we using the, the very best latest technology in the best possible way. And that technology could be anything. It could be how we buy digital media, you know, programmatically with, with um, DSPs and SSPs, et cetera. Um, so in its simplest form, it's just, just technology and integrating that into, into our business. And then we have the sort of slightly more grandiose topics around how we can use technology for the, for the greater good of the planet, how we can use technology to formulate new ingredients, man-made ingredients, so, you know, more sustainable, um, how we can use beauty tech to give a better experience to our consumers, how we can use beauty technology for our employees. So the li list goes on, but they're the kind of the three very top level uh, areas. And then within that, well, or under that, we have, again, some additional topics. So the first one is uh, how we can use beauty tech for inclusive beauty. So things like online diagnostics so if you're if you're on a website and you have problematic skin and you can you know use technology it scans and it tells you where it tells you how what, what products you need to use and it can also tell you if you're at risk of you know disease or you know, so fundamentally having a an amazing impact on people's lives actually so that's the first topic around inclusive beauty diagnostics online diagnostics and the second one under that is around personalized products using technology to develop personalized products customized to your own specific skin um, and then the last one is around trend spotting using technology to identify key emerging trends that may hit the nordics in in six nine twelve months but then setting things up now to to really um uh make sure we have an answer to the to that to, to, to those uh needs and those products you're gonna have could to you take also be could it yeah. be digital could it be you know for an avatar in on on Roblox or whatever. Yeah, of course. I mean, we we purchased uh, so we're, we're making acquisitions all the time. We purchased uh, a technology uh, called Modiface uh, from Canada in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, I think. Uh, and we now integrate that um, into many of our e retailers. So we have many retailers in the Nordics who who use that technology to so consumers can scan their skin and. Uh, identify what type of uh, makeup or lipstick or foundation that they would need. And then the next step, exactly to your point, is the integration of that into the, the, the virtual world, uh, the metaverse, et cetera. Mm. Cool. Just, just a fun, one final question. What, you know, of all these you know, trends, all these developments, all these new technologies that you have to sort of keep an eye on, is there anyone that you are particularly fond of yourself privately or you know, does it affect you as a, a person or, or what are you most excited about? Oof. Yeah. Uh, so to be honest, I, I mean, I'm very passionate about beauty and I studied, uh, I did my master's at um, London College of Fashion. So I've always been interested in, in, in those topics. 
Um, but I don't, to be honest, when I think of, or when I look for inspiration, I don't actually look at other beauty brands. Um, uh, but if I do, I look at some of the local players, the local niche, we call them sort of semi-selective brands, predominantly skincare brands actually, who are doing some amazing things about, you know, really solving and answering consumer needs. So I actually look more for inspiration to the smaller niche niche brands, specifically in the Nordics. Sweden have many fantastic local brands, same in same in Denmark, same in Norway, in fact. Um, and but but more so, I look outside of beauty actually. So I'm really interested in those companies who just have like large consumer databases, a large amount of data, and then I'm super interested in how they use that data. So places like Netflix, uh, places like Spotify, of course. Uh, and so for me, I get quite excited about just just that large quantity of consumer data and then the application, the activation of that. Mm. And in many examples, we can we can you know get learnings from that and apply some of those uh, examples to, to to what I'm doing uh, every day. Nick Buckley, Chief Digital and Marketing Officer for L'Oreal in the Nordics. Thank you so much for joining the show. No, thank you for having me. All right, that was the show. Thank you, Nick Buckley, for coming on. Please make sure to subscribe to our newsletter to stay updated on any drops and news from, from Scandinavian Mind. Visit scandinaviamind.com slash newsletter. Uh, until next week, uh, bye, guys.